what does this really look like? Let's put some definition on this. Let's make it work for your organization, for your team, because it just because it worked at Apple or Google or the small company down the road, or it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And then really create the culture and paradigm that encourages that and allows people to thrive every single day. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is the founder of ReVisionary. She is a executive coach, a culture strategist, and a top expert in leadership development for the 21st century workplace. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Celine Williams. Welcome to the show, Celine. Thank you so much. I have to say, every time I listen to your podcast, your energy at the beginning is completely infectious. <laughs> Why, thank you. Why, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Celine, you and I have gotten to know each other, and I got to say, I have completely been enamored with your incredible personality, your uh, towering intellect, and your true desire to be of service to people. And the listener who comes to this podcast, the reason they listen to this podcast is because they want to learn from you. They know that we bring incredible guests on this show. And each and every time a great guest comes on the show, they learn something that they can use to inspire them, to give them tips, tools, strategies to take their life to the next level. But before they can truly open themselves up to you, they got to get to know you a little bit. Tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Celine Williams? Well, I, I'm, I very much appreciate all of that. Um, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I always say my backstory is like the Sheryl Crow song, the every day is a winding road. <laughs> it's that it's not a direct path, right? It's not, I think like a lot of people who are entrepreneurs who are creative in how they think we don't take direct paths. We kind of it feels meandering when you're on it. And then at a certain point, it all kind of comes together and you're like, oh, that's what it was. <laughs> Got it. Um, and my path was definitely that. So I uh, was an entrepreneur when I was quite young. I started a tutoring business when I was 19 or 20, um, mainly because minimum wage at the time, dating myself, but I'm going to share it. Minimum wage at the time for any kind of uh, real work, you know, retail, whatever it was, was $6 and 85 cents an hour. Wow. And as yeah, <laughs> I know, and as a tutor, uh, working for a tutoring company, I was making $25 an hour. And when I ran my own business and I went to the kids myself and the people's houses myself, I was making 50 to $75 an hour. So I was like, um, this is what, this is so much more, it's a better use of my time than, than going and working in a regular job. 
So I started a business by default of seeing the opportunity and being like, I'd rather maximize my time rather than work how many hours over 10 hours to make what I would for one hour of tutoring. Um, so I did that. And along with all of the issues that come with not really knowing how to run a business and being young, and I was still in university when I started it, but it was great. And I niched down and I ended up sending, selling the IP from the program I created. I created a specialized program in my mid twenties when I moved. So I did that and I went into corporate for 11 years. I always joke. I took a three month contract that lasted 11 years, longest three month contract (laughs) ever. (laughs) I love it. Again, (laughs) you know, I, I like to, I like to break the rules a little bit, right? Expectations and then apparently destroy them. Um, but it was great because I, I did things I didn't, I wouldn't have done otherwise. And I'd never worked in an office. So when I was offered the contract, I was, I thought this is amazing. I've never worked in an office. This is going to be really cool. I'm going to get to buy a whole new bunch of clothes and learn administrative things. Somehow that was exciting to a 23 year old. And I worked in HR and worked in change management and worked in a bunch of different, uh, areas of the company, project management, doing different things. And very quickly learned that the process and the detail aspects of those were that, but I was really good at the people side of them, really good at the relational side of them. And so went on to become a coach, got the training, left the corporate world, started my own business and really kind of specialized in working with growing organizations, people focused organizations, because people are definitely the thread in what I do with an emphasis on culture first culture focused leaders and companies. And then I've had the pleasure of just working with incredible leaders that are, that care about their people that are vulnerable in the workplace that are looking to do things differently and not get stuck in the sort of older paradigms of how we tend to work. I love it. I love it. Wow. So you got into the whole entrepreneurial game pretty young. Kudos. Good for you. <laughs> you, you know, I, I mean, I, you you say that it might have been a little bit, uh, it might have been pushed from a little bit of greed on my part at that point in time, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Honestly, more people should inspire young people to get into entrepreneurship. You know, the, the school system is modeled after the Prussian school system from the 1860s and the 1870s, which was all about turning out good employees and good soldiers. The school system isn't designed to teach people to think for themselves or become entrepreneurs. So you really had to buck a system in order to do what you did. So first of all, kudos for doing that. And I'm a big stand for kids learning to become entrepreneurs. I wrote a children's book called Kathy Capitalist and Johnny Jobmaker. You can go on Amazon and check it out. And it's all about teaching little kids about entrepreneurship and free enterprise. I think that's fantastic. I think that's incredible. It's wonderful that you did that. And your thought leadership right now really focuses on helping heart-driven leaders win. Talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So I am very committed to changing the paradigm around leadership to creating spaces where people can show up as themselves fully the best version of themselves, knowing that that's going to change every single day. So I 
am, I really, I get very frustrated with the idea that there's this one set way of doing things and it's going to be perfect. And every single day it's going to be this and it's going to work for everyone because I don't think that's real. So a lot of the work that I do is with those heart centered leaders, with those, those people who recognize that we are all individuals in the best way, which means we're messy and dirty and imperfect. And that's the perfection. And we work at creating the space for them and the people around them to show up as the best version of themselves that day. And that best version is may not be the same best version it was yesterday or tomorrow. But by allowing that space, it allows everyone to do their best work on that day, to do their best work in the long term. And that's where you really see performance come out. I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the historical conversation, thought leadership teachings around high performance has been quite frankly really toxic it's been not well defined we use high performance like it's this label that everyone should aspire to but nobody really knows what it is unless we're talking a lot of you know people in the space of high performance come out of athletics and athletics is great but it's a different discipline and it's and it's based on practice and failure and moving forward with a coach alongside the entire time you're working at something. And that has not been the paradigm inside of the workplace. And so we've adopted this idea of high performance and not really changed it or adapted it for what or how it would look in the workplace. And so that's something that I'm really committed to is what does this really look like? Let's put some definition on this. Let's Make it work for your organization, for your team, because it, just because it worked at Apple or Google or the small company down the road, or, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And then really create the culture and paradigm that encourages that and allows people to thrive every single day. You know, I love that. And I really want to dive deeper and unpack the difference between a quote-unquote high-performance culture, which is like an athletic culture, and the type of culture that you're talking about that really works for everybody and still delivers great results. So let's get into that a little bit more, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that the when we think of a high performance culture, there's, I, I read a great article and I wish I could remember the gentleman's name. He ran an organization, he ran multiple organizations, um, you know, took them public, multi-million, hundreds of million dollar organizations. And he talks, he, his whole article was around, it was on LinkedIn, um, was around the concept that you can't have any slack in an organization. That in every organization, there's a certain amount of slack and there's a certain amount of people who aren't performing. And his goal as a founder and the, the organization's goal has always been to minimize that and really just focus on the high performers, high performance, high performers. And the problem with that, in my opinion, is that people get burnt out and they get exhausted and in a time like this year where we're dealing with a pandemic, those cultures are failing. There's not enough connectedness. There's not enough relatedness. The expectations are too high and people don't know how to deal with real life situations. And we're humans first. We're not worker bees. We are humans first. So that 
expectation of the nonstop performer isn't realistic and it shouldn't be. It's not healthy. It doesn't create healthy, happy people. It doesn't create, you know, customers that stay with companies longer. That's none of that happens from it. And so I appreciate the need for, you know, continued profits and to build a business and to grow a business. And that performance has to be a part of a culture. And I think you can do that in a way where people are taken care of, where they feel understood, where they feel safe, where, you know, diversity is, is really part and parcel of how things are done. Because one of the problems with high performing cultures is diversity is rarely part of it simply because everyone has to look the same to perform in a certain manner. I don't mean physically the same, but how we think, how we act, our life circumstances are all have to be a, a certain way to perform in that certain manner. And that inhibits innovation, inhibits a number of other things. And so I think there's a balance to be found with, yes, let's set some expectation around what performance looks like in this, in this organization. And we're going to figure out how to measure that. And we can still be a place that encourages discussion and encourages diversity of thought and encourages healthy conflict and encourages our people to have to be able to have a bad day and doesn't punish them for having a bad day or for having a bad quarter if their you know sibling died or something awful has happened because we're humans first. Wow. That is fantastic. Again, there's a lot to unpack over there as well, but I'll tell you what what I'd be interested in hearing a bit more about. So talk to me about diversity of thought versus like what people these days seem to mean when they talk about diversity in the workplace. Absolutely. So, and, and I want to preface this really specifically with saying, I think it's important to have diversity of religion, diversity of skin color, diversity, all of, you know, all of those gender diversity, all of that is important. And I absolutely do not want to take away from that. And the most important thing we can have is diversity of thought. Mm. One of the great consequences of diversity of thought is often we end up with diversity of religion, diversity of belief system, diversity of skin color, diversity of gender anyways, because we're not focusing on that as the measure of diversity, but we're making sure that we have people from different life circumstances, from different parts of the world or the country, depending what kind of organization we have, who are of different genders, who are of different sexualities, who all of those things, simply because having you know, growing up as a person of color is a different experience and is going to give you a different thought process than growing up as a white person in a big city. If we focus on the diversity of thought, making sure that we're representing different viewpoints, different perspectives, different ways of thinking about things, then we often end up with diversity in other ways as well. When we focus on that you know the the visible lens of diversity so bringing in people of color our bias is to bring in someone of color who thinks the same way we think because it is easier for us to deal with people who think like us it is easier for humans to work with people to cohabitate with people to interact with people who are similar to us so when we focus on 
the visible aspects of diversity, we're often missing the opportunity to bring people in who think differently than us, who aren't from the same industry as us, who you know don't have the same experience, didn't go to the same college, maybe didn't go to university at all, but have that thought diversity that is really where you get innovation and change and um, real, the real, the real opportunities in business are coming from today. You know, I really like what you what you said about diversity of thought. Like, look, I'm I'm from Iran. Uh, okay, I'm a Christian from Iran. I grew up uh, as a uh, minority in that respect back home. And coming in here, mm. when I came to Canada in 1982, there weren't a lot of Iranians here. I was one of the few. So this was a big culture shock for me. And I'm someone who spoke English and went to English-speaking schools. So, you know, compared to a lot of people who came here from Iran who didn't even have that background, uh, I, had mm. it, I had it easier. But it was definitely a big culture shock for me. And I got to be honest, I am not so much of a fan of people saying, hey, you know what, we've got to have representatives from 16 different cultures here. We've got to have different genders, different sexualities. I don't know. For me, that's the goal. For me, the goal is you want to bring in people who think differently. And if you do that, I think you're going to end up getting a lot of people who are different from one another, and you're not going to have a homogeneous workplace culture or a homogeneous way of thinking. But if People look at diversity and they go, okay, I'm going to check all the boxes of, you know, skin color and sexuality and gender and religion and ethnic background and, you know, able versus disabled. If that's all they do and they bring in people who all think alike, to me, they miss the boat. There's no diversity there at all. It may look like it's diverse, but it really isn't. And that's what what the, the the folks that are I think at the forefront of creating a really fantastic uh, workplace, creating a really fantastic society, are those who leave room for people who think differently and bring different ideas to the table. So I really appreciate what you're bringing to the table. Well, thank you. I I mean I and I couldn't agree with you more. The biggest hurdle that you know in or one. Okay, maybe not the biggest hurdle, but one of the biggest hurdles that that we face when we are focused on the physical or obvious, you know, the easier to spot lens of diversity, vision of diversity, is that it still allows us to have biases and it doesn't break down the biases. That is ultimately what you're trying to, to minimize when you're creating diversity. And if you're not, if you don't have diversity of thought, but you've checked all the boxes, I almost guarantee you do not have diversity of biases and those biases, you just reinforce them with people who fit the mold of what your bias already is. And that is not a great way to build a business, especially in today's day and age, and especially for where leadership and the future of business is going. Yeah, no, amen, amen. And I want to also say that we live in Canada, the freest, most tolerant country in the world, and it's important to acknowledge that because yes. it doesn't get better than here. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> living in Iran, I will tell you that this conversation, people would look at you weird and say, You're, this is ridiculous. And bias is open. Uh, and not only is it open, if you speak out against it, you, you know, you're going to be considered somebody uh, that um, 
is strange, different, weird. And if you speak out against certain types of bias that they have against certain groups, you're done. <laughs> you know, you're done. They're not even going to work with you. They're not even going to deal with you. And that's not just in my home country. That's in most of the countries in the world. So kudos to Canada. Thank you for being the most tolerant place in the world. God bless Canada. Amen to that. Amen to that. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me more. All right. What else do leaders that um, are heart-driven need to be aware of when it comes to um, taking their organization and having it operate optimally? Well, I would say that I think one of the most important, it's, you know, I was actually talking about this yesterday, funny enough, about the the importance of transparency and vulnerability, not one or the other. Someone I was, I was reading something that was talking about one versus the other. And again, I'm very much a, a yes and person, right? So I'm very rarely in the black and white. I'm often in the well, it's not one or the other. It's actually both and in certain ways. And this is one of those cases for heart-driven leaders that I think oftentimes they will find one or the other more natural or easier to navigate. So it's either being vulnerable or it's being transparent. And I think both of those things together are really key to create that optimal organization or optimal team. And that is being vulnerable in the sense that you're sharing enough of yourself that people feel connected to you. You're not oversharing. So Brene Brown talks about this, right? Where it's not, you don't want to get into the stage of vulnerability where you're oversharing and you're making your problem other people's problems and putting them in a position to deal with it in some way. That's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're talking about. But being vulnerable with regards to what your experience is and what you've learned from it and how you're managing it that's okay. When you're looking to other people to solve it or validate it or give you, you know, do something with what you're sharing, that's not vulnerability, that's oversharing and neediness. Hand in hand with that is transparency. And for me, transparency is more at the um, organizational or team level where you're sharing what's going on with the people around you or with your team or with your direct reports or with your peers in the most transparent way that you can in that moment. That does mean, recognize that that does mean sometimes you can't share everything. If there are NDAs in place or legal agreements, or I recognize that you can't always share everything, but to share the best that you can in those moments about the situation and what you know about it, that is transparency. That gives people confidence and instills trust in them. So when you're vulnerable, you're instilling trust in, in you as a person and making, in, in building that connectedness and relatedness with the people around you, which is really important when you're a heart leader and, and when that matters to you. And when you're transparent about the situations and what information you have and what could or couldn't happen and really open those things up for discussion and sharing, then you're building trust in how you're leading and confidence in the decisions you're making and confidence in the fact that people aren't fearful of losing their job or something's going to sideline them or there's going to be this big unknown thing happening that they had no idea about because you've done the best you can to prepare them along the way for what could or could not or may or may not happen with the information you had at the time. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about thought leadership and heart leadership conceptually and have you apply it to some of how you do what you do, okay? So sure. one of my mentors is Matt Church. Matt Church is an Australian man, 
and he created um, Thought Leaders Global and Thought Leaders Business School. And one of his powerful sayings is, an expert is someone who knows something, but a thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. So what's your comment on that saying? I mean, I think I, I would agree. I think I would agree. I think the, the, the challenge in that is that you can be the, there's so much happening in the world today and there's so many niches and so many areas that you can be a thought leader that's known for knowing something and 99% of the world has no idea who you are. I was on a, um, a call that Seth Godin, I was on a, a call with Seth Godin and he was talking about his latest book and it was a group of entrepreneurs on the call and Seth Godin, who, if you're an entrepreneur, I'd be, you know, I would, I would hedge a bet that most entrepreneurs that I know, know the name Seth Godin. And he flat out said that in this group, you know, everyone on this call, I, you are all excited that I'm here because I'm Seth Godin and you know who I am. He's like, here's the reality. Less than 5% of people in North America have ever even heard the name Seth Godin and probably less than 1% have any recognition of it beyond, oh, I've heard that name before. So the interesting thing with me, and, and I think, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say most people would consider Seth Godin a thought leader when it comes to marketing. For and sure. here's this thought leader who in a specific niche is extraordinarily well known for knowing things. But outside of that, nobody knows who he is. And I think it's really important to remember that when it comes to thought leadership is that you can be really known in a specific market or niche or arena or group and be a thought leader. And that's a wonderful thing. You do not have to be Tony Robbins, who is known by, you know, known by significantly more people to be, you don't have to be Oprah to be a thought leader. No, that's very true. And actually, I interviewed Seth on the show early on. Uh, I think he was interview number 13. And um, that was one of the things he said to us. And we wholeheartedly agree with that because let's face it, okay? You just need to be known by the group of people that you help. That's your entire goal. You want to be professionally famous, not yes. famous, famous. Famous, famous isn't the goal. The goal is to be professionally famous. And a thought leader is someone who's professionally famous. They're known by the people who need to know them. Yes. Yeah. I 100% I, I agree. I could not. That is the perfect way of saying it. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. So another thing that we say around thought leadership is there's a distinction between running a thought leader practice and running a business. Like a business is a business, okay? A business can is branded as the business. It usually sells uh, a particular thing. It usually goes after a particular market. And the objective of a business owner is to grow their business and to sell it, right? For lotto-like figures, mm -hmm. uh, preferably. A thought leader practice is a different thing, though. It's based on your brand, brand you, and what you have in that practice is your intellectual property. And basically what you're selling is you're selling your time at, at very high levels, very high dollar figures, but you're still primarily selling your time. And it's difficult to sell a thought leader practice. Now, at a certain level, someone like a Tony Robbins or a Robin Sharma, they can use their thought leadership to create businesses and business brands, and they have. But for the average person who's maybe starting out or halfway through their thought leader journey, 
that's not the way it goes. What's your comment on that? I think that's very true. And I think that, you know, one of the challenges of thought leadership is that it is scalable only to a certain point, um, unless you step into that sort of superstardom level, which is absolutely possible. But until that point, there is a limit because we have a limited amount of time. And presumably we have a limited amount of time we want to spend on our businesses if we're doing other things and we have families or friends or whatever the case may be. So I, I recognize that. I do think that you can sell programs um, long before you get to that, to that level that can maximize that time and can actually improve the impact of your thought leadership by being able to work with more people at a lower price point. I think there are ways that that you can build, that you can increase your your impact as a thought leader without necessarily burning out or getting to that level if that's not your market or what you're looking for. But I do think it is an inherent challenge inside of thought leadership. And I think it's why, you know, a, a number of the people I know who are very much in the space of thought leadership, they have their own brand. So you know, it's the Celine Williams who travels internationally and speaks on stages around, you know, these five topics that I'm known for and gets invited, you know, into different workshops or whatever the case may be things. That is one stream of revenue, if you like. And that is, and I work with people inside of that. And I also have a boutique consulting firm that I do work, that I work in, that I have people that work in. So if it's not all on me at the end of the day. And I think a lot of thought leaders are doing that sort of thing where they are not necessarily building it out that my company is not, it is associated with my name, but if you work with my company, you may not be working with me. And that's okay because it's not banking only on my name, whereas me building my thought leadership and building my you know, speaking presence and whatever it is, that is 100% me. And I think, I think, you know, differentiating it that way, I see a lot of thought leaders doing that very early on so they can grow them simultaneously or grow one and whatever their tactic is. Mine was to grow my company before I stepped really into thought leadership. But that way I have multiple things going on and multiple ways of doing it. So I don't hopefully do not get stuck in that trap. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well said, well said, well said. Well, Celine, you are the real deal. You are uh, absolutely a fantastic thought leader. And um, if folks are interested in finding out more about what you do and the wonderful things that you offer, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? I have a podcast called Leading Through Crisis that is really talking about leadership in challenging times and some of the things that we've spoken about with different thought leaders and leaders in it in the world and so that's that's a great um way to check me out and also you can find me on revisionary.ca revisionary.ca okay i love it okay so your podcast let's talk a bit about your podcast because i'm actually going to be a guest on your podcast i'm very excited about that tell the folks a bit more about the (laughs) podcast yeah so i um i've been talking about doing a podcast for a long time i used to co-host radio shows and i have a background in improv so i am that person and that was like, what? how can I put things out into the world in a different way? And I have had more conversations in the first two months of this year, not only 
beginning of the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, talking about we want to like who can we who should we go to to learn more about leadership and dealing with challenging things and not just data about the pandemic and not just here's the way to do it, but like where people are having sharing different ideas. Um, and I thought, oh, well, that's really interesting that so many people have been coming to me and asking about this. I'm going to put together a podcast that is that, that is really to highlight the people that come on, the guests that I have on, their thoughts. It's a, it's a casual discussion. It's very back and forth, um, but really highlighting their expertise and experience with leadership, whether it's self-leadership, because that's a real challenge these days, but or leading teams or leading organizations. But how do we how do we lead when things are not going the way we think they should be going? How do we lead when there is so much changing around us? How do we lead with so much uncertainty? And how, how can we build our resiliency inside of these moments? And that's really the, where it came from. And that's kind of what we talk about with different people from CEOs to to you know, executive coaches, to authors, to you know, anyone who has real deep expertise in this arena in some way is a person I want to talk to and that I, I bring on the show. I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I think it's a fantastic podcast. I'm looking forward to being on it. So listener, listen, Celine Williams is the real deal. You need to go check her out on her uh, website, Revisionary. Check out all the wonderful things she does. Go listen to her podcast. This lady rocks. Make sure you consume her content in a big and powerful way. So Celine, we like to end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you as our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend my listener apply to his or her life or business so that he or she can take it to the next level. So what do you say? Um, first and foremost, don't believe that there's only one way to do something. And if you don't do it that way, it's not the right way. I, th- I see that stop people more than anything else. And so it's almost like an, an, an inaction. I like to break rules, Nikki. So I'm going to give you an inaction step. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe everything that you hear. Don't think there's only one right way to do thing, to do something. Um, that would be the first, the first action step that I would recommend. The second one is, I it's you know I don't want this to sound uh, cheesy in any way, but truly being clear on your intentions and your goals, what you're working towards and why is so important when you're building a business and when you're taking things to the next level. If you don't know the intention behind what you're doing and what you're working towards, it's like trying to it's like driving randomly without a map and hoping to end up somewhere that that's good. It could happen and it's a lot harder than if you know where you're going and why you're going there. So, I would say the second thing is to really take the time to do that and the third thing I would say is as hard as it can be to really focus on a clear message or two messages or a clear niche, the focus matters and focus in business matters. And everyone I know who has grown businesses successfully, who has scaled in whatever way, who has gotten themselves to the next level, whatever that looks like for them, has actually 
refocused what they've done at every single step and gotten clearer on what that focus is long before adding anything, anything else in years down the road, which is then also another very clear focus that builds on that first focus. And so I think focus and clarity at every single step and checking that is vitally important. I've got to tell you that last point that you just made is so right on and so bang on. I mean, so are the other two points, but for me, that one really hit home. So thank you, Celine. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for being enthusiastic and thank you for bringing me back to be on your show as well. I'm looking forward to that. I'm so excited to have you, Nikki. I can't wait for it. Thank you for having me on your show. It's it's really, it's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. So listener, Celine Williams is the real deal. She's giving you gold here. She has given you truth bomb after truth bomb after truth bomb. Make sure that you sit down and you take really good notes from this episode, okay? And that you take advantage of listening to her podcast, going to her website, and take advantage of everything she has to offer. She's got a lot that she offers that's absolutely free, and then she's got some incredible programs that you can check up and check into as well. So make sure that you do that. And here's the other thing. It's near the end of the craziest year of our lifetime, right? It has been a wild ride. We've had a pandemic. We've had lockdowns. We've had restrictions. We've had the never-ending U.S. election. Oh, my God. If you haven't been at least somewhat discombobulated by this year, then you're not human. And I'm sure you have been because we all have been. And if you're wondering to yourself, how can I make 2021 a way better year than 2020? I am so glad that you asked that question, that you channeled me to ask that question on your behalf. Because here's what you need to do. In addition to checking out the show notes for Celine and everything about Celine, you need to go to eCircleAcademy.com and you need to take advantage of a few amazing downloads. Number one is there is a free report on six things you can do to scale your thought leader practice. So grab that. It's absolutely free. Number two, there's a masterclass there on five ways to create a seven-figure-a-year thought leader practice. Watch that masterclass. That's absolutely free. And then I've got my new book, which is called The Thought Leader's Journey, which you can buy on Amazon for 25 bucks, or you can download for free by going to ecircleacademy.com forward slash TLJ book. Make sure that you either buy it if you like a hard copy or if you want, if you're good with with an electronic copy, with a Kindle version, that you go get it from for free and you take advantage of all these. Use all this content to help you get to the next level in your business. Take advantage of it, okay? You can't do it alone. Hashtag don't do the rest of 2020 alone. Hashtag don't do 2021 alone. Be around community. Be around the folks like Celine, like myself, like everyone who listens to this podcast to help you get to that next level. And if you feel the need to have a conversation about how this could be possible, if you just want to talk, I'm offering this to you. I've got a link on my website 
where you can have a complimentary call with me. It will be with me, not someone from my team. It'll be with me. Just put in the application form when you set the appointment up that I'm going to speak. I want to speak to you one-on-one, Nikki, and I will personally call you and we'll have a conversation. Let me know what's going on in your life. Let me know what's going on in your world. And if I can be of service to you, I absolutely will be. If I can introduce you to somebody who will be of service to you, I absolutely will be. And if one of the things I do can be helpful to you, I'll absolutely let you know that too. Take advantage of this. Do not wait. Do not delay. Consume Celine's information. Consume the information I'm offering you and take advantage of the opportunity to have a one-on-one call with me. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. Celine Williams, what an honor to have you here on the show today. You are so awesome. Thank you. It's been wonderful being here. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your audience for listening. Thank you so much. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Celine Williams, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out all the information in the show notes. Go to her website, revisionary.com, and make sure that you check out her podcast. Consume everything this fabulous lady has to offer. Make sure you do that, okay? Take advantage of what she brings to the table because she is a dynamo. And take advantage of all the things that I've offered to you as well on eCircleAcademy.com. This has been the craziest year on record. You deserve to have help. You deserve to have resources. You deserve to have people and a one-on-one heart-to-heart connection to help you get to that next level. Take advantage of it. Until next time. Goodbye.